look, the exciting thing for me and why I moved in there, moved into the space is that um, I just think it, it presents the greatest growth potential, certainly. And I think it's the greatest macro trade that, of all time. Welcome to Wealthion. I'm Wealthion founder Adam Taggart. The investing landscape has changed dramatically over the past year with the removal of record monetary and fiscal stimulus and the subsequent surge in inflation and interest rates. How are the expert investors navigating this new environment? As the expected returns for many asset classes suddenly look quite different from what they've been over the previous decade, where are the pitfalls to be aware of and where are the new opportunities emerging? To discuss, we're fortunate to be joined today by Dan Tapiero, CEO, CIO, and managing partner of One Roundtable Partners and 10T Holdings. Dan has 30 years of experience in macro and commodities investing, working for firms like Tiger Management and SAC Capital, and co-founding Agcoa, one of the largest farmland REITs in America, as well as Gold Bullion International. Dan, thanks so much for joining us today. Hi, Adam. Great to be here. Great to be here. Great to be here with you. And we found out right before we turned the camera on that we actually went to the same college uh, around the same time. You were a little bit ahead of me. Um, obviously, I've had a much more storied career than I have, um, but it's fun to see a fellow alumnus here on the channel. Um, a lot of questions here for you, Dan. A lot of ground we're going to cover. Um, but if we can just kick it off with a question that I like to ask all my guests at the beginning of these interviews. What's your current assessment of the global economy and financial markets? Oh, okay. That's a, <laughs> that's a quick one to answer. Um, broadly, I, I would say that I'm positive on the markets. And um, I think that, uh, you know, many people aren't really used to this idea that you could have a slowdown and even potentially a dramatic slowdown in, in an economy and yet it'd be positive for the markets. And so... Um, I think that the Federal Reserve hiking is finished. I think they've over-tightened, I think dramatically so. Um, it's the first time in my lifetime that a Fed has made policy based on the most lagging uh, indicators that we have, which is the headline CPI and the unemployment rate. Yep. Um, kind of crazy. Uh, you know, most of the leading indicators, and certainly all the ones that Greenspan and Bernanke, uh, you know, all the old-time central bankers used, these guys have ignored. Uh, they ignored it, uh, you know, uh, 18 months ago, probably, you know, starting to tighten too late. Um, but then at the moment when the headline CPI was at its peak, they decided to go super aggressive. And, um, you know, even they know and understand that policy works with the lag, and it's usually a 12 to 18 month lag. Mm -hmm. So I don't know why they've ignored that sort of dictate that's always been part of how they see the world. Um, so I think the yield curve, which now is the most inverted, I think now since 1980 or even more, more so, 10 years at roughly, I don't know where they are today, but what, 3.5, 3.4, um, and Fed funds at 5%, uh, the market is telling them, they don't believe in markets, I don't know, the, these central bankers aren't very market, uh, I don't want to say respectful, but I, I don't think they believe in the markets. Uh, the market's been telling them that forward inflation you know, if you look at any of the uh, market-driven indicators of inflation, uh, is going to be significantly lower. And so that's my my view, is that every quarter for the remainder of the year, we're going to have growth and inflation lower. I wouldn't be surprised to see headline CPI certainly at three, um, you know, potentially lower, uh, 10 years, 
down, you know, near two and a half would not surprise me at all. Uh, and I think the Fed will have to reverse some of this tightening, even maybe six, you know, I, ho I, I hope within the next six months. Um, look, it's, it, it's, it's pretty crazy when you have a Federal Reserve that hikes, uh, even though it's 25 basis points and not really that relevant, into what really has been the most severe uh, banking collapse, you know, since 08. I, I think it's very clear, two or three of the largest <laughs> banking uh, bankruptcies uh, you know, in history, and they're still raising rates. It's, it's, right. it's, it's we, we've had three, three of the four biggest banking failures in the U.S. have happened in the past month. Yeah, it's as if they they want that to happen, which is a very strange thing. I've never uh, seen a Fed uh, actually want to take certain banks under. And the, the reason I feel like that's so odd is that um, I don't know I don't know how the Fed expected not just the you know local or smaller banks, but also pension funds, insurance companies, all of these people who hold significant amount of bonds. Did they really expect them to manage their bond portfolio through what is the greatest and fastest collapse you know in 30 years? I think even greater than the 94 collapse. So we could say you know even 50 years. Um, a pretty, I don't know. Um, I just, it's just a shocking kind of um, thing for me to think that uh, an institution like that, that has such a forward looking uh, focus, would not suspect or expect um, many of these institutions to get caught. And they did get caught. Um, the 60 40 portfolio had, I think, last year the third worst performance since 1870. Mm -hmm. I think that was the. So there are a lot of these long-term holders, institutional holders of fixed income uh, that got hurt. Now, one last thing I would just say is that the Fed, they did come out and they said, okay, this is, I guess, a month ago or so, all of your bond holdings that are marked down 30%, you can mark them back to par and use that as collateral uh, as if it were at par. Uh, and I think that's a potential or let's say theoretical injection of around 2 to $3 trillion. And so that's partially the reason why I think gold is rallying, going to make a new high, why Bitcoin and Ethereum are strong, why the NASDAQ is strong. I mean, we can get into that. I mean, I, I think that those trends that are driven by liquidity, I mean, the NASDAQ, gold, Bitcoin, Ethereum, they're driven more, I think, by expectations of liquidity rather than whether the underlying U.S. or global economy is going to be growing at a certain rate. So okay, I, and, and and that's why you get to your starting off comment that you're positive on the markets, even though everything you've talked about so far is kind of bearish right. from an economic standpoint. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think the markets run ahead and price um, obvious things in well in advance. And so I don't know if you look at my Twitter feed, I I um, I'm pretty active there. At least I, I haven't been recently, but I, I like to have my views uh, sort of cemented so that. Uh, you know, uh, if someone said you didn't say that, I can say, well, I tweeted that six months ago. Yep. But since the summer of last year, I've been saying we have a pretty dramatic slowdown coming. Um, and I think that's what the 10-year is pricing in. The 10-year at three and a half with funds at five is telling you that the market already has priced a dramatic slowdown, right? You can't have the 10-year sitting at three and a half uh, if you think we're going to have a 70-style uh, inflation. And I haven't even mentioned this whole advent now of AI and GPT 
four and five and six and, and all the other, you know, um, uh, adaptations. But I think very clearly uh, that's going to impose a deflationary uh, trend on top of the economy. And I think all of the, the banking collapse and also the um, interest rate sectors of the economy, which I really call old world or traditional world, um, you're going to have deflation coming out of that sector as well. So I'm pretty sure that uh, there isn't going to be any 70 style inflation when you have two very important uh, sectors like that emitting uh, deflation. Okay, so um, gosh, you, you you just raised like nine things I want to go into. With sorry, you. Um, I, I'm, I'm sorry about that. No, 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 that, 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 don't be sorry. That's a sign of a yeah. great discussion here. Um, so uh, let, let's, let's just grab inflation for a second, right? So th that was the big game changer, right? That, that's maybe why the Fed didn't have a lot of choice but to surprise the banks and pension funds and whatever. And, and you know, it, it just, it had to hike, right? It, it probably didn't see itself as having too much choice in the matter. But you seem to think that inflation is is moderating and, and will largely be under control by the end of the year. If I heard you right, it sounds like you're thinking the CPI is going to be down around 3%, potentially even less yeah. by the end of this year. By the way, you're not you're not alone in that. We've had some people on this channel saying, that the inflation fight is done. Even Lacey Hunt, former Fed senior economist, believes that hmm. the inflation fight's all over, but but the waiting at this point in time. Um, you've, on top of that, um, said, you know, look, there's a bunch of reasons why the economy is going to slow for the over-tightening and the lag effect and all that stuff. You then mentioned something I actually haven't talked about much on this channel, and I'm looking to bring an expert in on, but is, is the impact of AI. And you're saying that is going to be another deflationary um, uh, you know, impact on the economy as well, or not in the economy, but, but but at least on prices going forward. No, no, I think on the economy also, because I think it will result in the firing of a lot of people. And, you know, I'm not an expert on this, but I'm already hearing from companies uh, that we own that they're going to be laying off people who, um, you know, who made redundant um, by... I, I guess the advent of some of this, some of the applications, the new AI applications. So I I think it's already happening. It just hasn't hit yet. The, yeah. Well, I was just going to say, so you, you have an insider's view here because companies you're invested in, it sounds like are already making staffing decisions based yeah. on this. So how how quickly do you think the economy is going to start feeling the impact of AI. Oh, it right won't now, be it's quick. just been headlines no, for folks. It won't be quick. I mean, you know, my my funds, one our one roundtable partners in Tenty Holdings, we manage. Um, you know, I've made twenty six investments in companies that are in broadly what I call the digital asset ecosystem. We're the only growth equity fund active in the world that invests exclusively in blockchain and crypto um, Web three businesses. And so we're sort of, uh, these companies are really more at the cutting edge, uh, but they're more, th this is not venture. These are companies generally that have a valuation, you know, I would say over four or $500 million, have 40 to $50 million in revenue. Um, these aren't sort they're of- pretty big companies. Stock. Yeah, th this isn't pie in the sky sort of venture uh, businesses. You know, many of them have, you know, 50, 100 or hundreds of people, uh, hundreds of millions of dollars of revenue. And, uh, you know, in some cases, um, you know, I don't want, I, I think you could see, you know, 20, 20 percent uh, reduction in the workforce of some of uh, some of these companies. Now, I think the old line companies will take longer to get there. Um, so I just think this 
there's a, a deflationary um, uh, overtone, let's just say, I, I, meaning I don't think it happens all at once. It's just going to happen gradually. JP Morgan just put out a study last week that said they think that $1 trillion of market value um, that we've, that we've um, put on this year in the NASDAQ is a direct result of uh, the AI boom. And that that's a, you know, so I, I'm not an expert. Um, I'm just assuming, you know, in a way, JP Morgan uh, is intelligent about their analysis. And I was just pretty shocked at that. It's a big number. Um, and, yeah. and so, so, sorry, but they're, they're, they're basically crediting the sector, or the market has credited the sector with a trillion in incremental market value because of presumably both cost savings and higher profits. Correct, 100%. That's it. Yeah. You should try to get that piece. Um, I think it's really worth, uh, you know, worth reading. I again, it's speculative, but it makes sense to me. Um, you've got it's a massively positive force uh, out there, and of course, look, I come from the old macro world. You mentioned I worked at you know Tiger and SAC and Duquesne with Druck and Miller, and and you know in my early days, Michael Steinhardt. Yes, that was my old world for twenty years. I was a portfolio manager. Um, you know, trading the cycles, managing the, the liquidity cycles driven by the Fed, uh, you know, interpreting nuance in Fed language and all of that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, currencies, bonds, commodities. Which now AI will do for us, but yep. <laughs> yeah. I'm just saying, I'm just saying it's a very, you know, I, for me, it's sort of, the, that's the old world. Um, and there's a whole new world growing up um, that I think, I don't want to say supplants that, but I think um, you know, is going to have a major impact in, in the way, you know, authorities manage economies and uh, how liquidity is transmitted, um, how stores of value are calculated. I mean, we can go on and on about this. Well, um, we're going to, because th this, okay. I presume, is why you are, you have founded this digital assets yes. fund and whatnot. And and, and we're, we're working our way there. I want to, I want to okay. close the old economy discussion before That's okay. we start okay. that one. Um, so, uh, because you talked about the sort of the threat to employment that AI poses right now, uh, if I heard you correctly, you think that's something that's going to play out over the next coming years? It's, it's yeah, yeah. Um, but, but I think it's it's starting to play out now. And but you you know one thing I, I just I'll let you answer your question in a second. Yeah, okay. The one the, the one thing that is shocking about this whole cycle is that the Fed basically lost faith in their ability to manage the cycle. Because as you said, Lacey Hunt just said, it was just a matter of waiting now. That was the case six months ago. They didn't need to raise the rate to 5%. They didn't yeah. need to blow up the entire banking system. They're putting out of work a huge number of people. Um, okay, the US has 4,000 banks. Every other developed world in the country has between 50 and 100. Um, so we'll have some banks going under, that's not great. But I don't know if we have 3,000 banks go under, that's really bad, uh, especially if it's going to happen all at once. So I'm not really sure. To me, this is, I don't want to say incompetence, um, but this is, at least for me, the worst Fed that I've you know seen in terms of their skill and being able to manage the cycle, the confidence they have in making policy. Um, there's no chance that Greenspan would have pulled any of this. Um, and again, he was sort of the first central banker that I really followed very close in my career. And these guys, I mean, it really, um, it does feel like 
their views are divorced from the act, the action in the market. Uh, the markets tell, told them a long time ago, stop, right? An inverted yield curve greater than 1980, stop. Uh, leading indicators that we all see that are worse than 08 in some cases, stop. Um, but they lost faith in their ability to manage the cycle. And so they've overdone it here. And now they're killing the interest rate sectors of the economy more than I think they want to. And would, it hasn't would, even hasn't kicked in yet. Would, would, would you consider this, they've got some sort of objective here that they're following that just may be misguided? Or would you, are you just trying not to use the words clown show? Well, look, these are very accomplished people in their respective areas. You know, they, they're not there, but look, it, they're academic. You know, uh, I don't see any market, uh, you know, market players or market savvy people on the Fed board. Um, I don't, I, I, I get it. They have three or 400 people. They have an open markets group. I, I understand they're sensitive to that, but um, to some degree, but it really does feel to me like they lost confidence in themselves um, because normally any proper and you know group of central bank leaders, let's just say, would say we've done what we needed to do. We're going to let we're going to give it some time because we know that policy works with the lag, and we've done a lot already. Right. Like if you look at this tightening cycle versus all the other ones in the past thirty years. This is the most aggressive, most dramatic, most shocking from zero to five in a nanosecond. I mean, it's honestly, I, I don't want to say incompetence because it's not that. I think it's error in judgment. And I do think it's loss of confidence. One of the reasons why you have such a strong move in gold and in Bitcoin, um, Ethereum too, is because I think people are seeing that there is something wrong with how policy has been set during this cycle. So, uh, all right, there, there's like four things tangled together here that I, I wanna parse out individually. Um, first off, um, uh, we've, we've, I really appreciate you making these comments because you're echoing a lot of comments that, that I've made in previous uh, interviews on this channel about um, the risks of over-tightening, the importance of the lag effect, uh, the speed with which they've raised rates, it's, it's, I've sort of made it akin to, um, you know, basically throwing somebody in the Arctic Ocean, right? You, you, you can, if you, if you chill somebody too fast, you send them into shock and that's the danger that they, they, they set here. Um, and, uh, so all those things we warned about, you seem to be just equally concerned. So, um, we talked about, you know, AI potentially being a future threat to jobs, but it sounds like you feel like I do that there's highly likely to going to be a, a substantial amount of job loss from the current sending the economy into slowdown shock that's going on right now. Right. You're nodding as I'm saying this. Right. Yeah, so of course. It's going to be a pretty rough outlook. It sounds like well, for the American labor, American so, worker for a while. Yeah, it certainly get, But it also guarantees that inflation will go below the, the numbers that I mentioned. And as a result of that, uh, interest rates will drop pretty dramatically. So again, I'm a market guy and I'm an investor. I'm not an academic or a policy person. The markets run ahead of things. The markets are smarter than the Fed. And so, you know, this, the, everything that I've told you, the markets have already discounted. And so that's why the NASDAQ can run. 
And that's why gold and you know Bitcoin, Ethereum, the companies that we own can do well because the drop in the inflation premium is going to be very bullish for assets. Okay, and and, and is it uh, is it going to be bullish for assets um, because we're in a less inflationary world and therefore companies aren't having you know to deal with the uh, corrosive effects of inflation. Or is it bullish for especially those assets you mentioned, especially gold and Bitcoin right now, because the market is anticipating a, a, another violent lurch in the other direction policy-wise, right? That the Fed is over-tightening, over-tightened, the lag effects are going to start slamming into the economy. Something really big is going to break. The Fed is going to say, oh my God, we went way too far. And they lurch the other direction and they maybe go back to an aggressive easing campaign. Yeah. And, and assets go to the, you know, rise because of that. Well, so just on the second point, I mean, you could argue that, that that's already happened. And, you know, the two-year is 100 basis points below the funds rate. So, you know, could the, could the two-year go 200 basis points below? I mean, I guess it's possible. But again, there's the pull to par, which makes it hard. So I, you know, I, I think they'll eventually have to drop but I guess what I'm saying is that the market rates are going to, you know, are going to drop for them. And historically, the Fed has followed the markets, but this Fed is ignoring the market. So could it be that the 10-year is at 2% and the Fed funds at 5 I guess, but that would be borderline criminal uh, on the uh, or fraudulent or something on the part of the Fed, because that would mean that every single person in the marketplace um, you know, is seeing interest rate, uh, is seeing inflation essentially, you know, at zero. Mm -hmm. And the Fed would be seeing it at some whatever rate it is that they're, they're saying. So I, I don't think that they're that out to lunch, but um, clearly, I just don't think it's a great, you know, it's not a great way to manage the economy. Put the banking sector uh, out of work, shut it down, crush real estate, just because they have fear that inflation might not get down to where it's going to go. Every, every macro guy who is involved in the markets knows it's a fait accompli. Inflation is going down, right? That's why I'm saying that it's, it's borderline, you know, incompetence in, in a way not right, to recognize still, that but the markets still are hiking. Yeah. Yeah. Hiking. I mean, it's, it's ridiculous. I, I, it's, and, and they've, they've, um, you know, they veered from even their own acknowledgments that policy works with the lag. That's why I'm saying they lost faith in their own ability to manage the cycle. Like, if you want to talk really, really big picture and talk a gloom and doomy and, uh, you know, be cataclysmic, which is not my thing because I'm in the markets and I'm concerned about profit and, you know, making money, not, not gloom and doom. Um, but the reality is that... Um, I don't ever recall a central bank that's veered away from what, from, I think the proper right policy to this degree. And so if you want to talk about loss of faith in the institution of central banking, at least in my life, if it were ever going to happen, you know, or begin to move away, it, it seems like it's now. It, it seems like it's underway now. Okay. And here's yeah. what I'm trying to do, Dan. I'm, I'm trying to get. They can correct the it though. Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, and I'm trying to get to the point where we get to your optimism on the markets, because I, yeah. I know from sure. viewers in this channel, from what they've heard before and from what they're hearing you say, they're like, God, I just I'm hearing a lot of bad news. Right. So first first thing is, is do you expect a recession to come out of this overtight? How are you calling a recession? Is it two back to back quarters of negative GDP or is it a dramatic slowdown or is it GDP below zero? What is the what's what, your uh, I mean, define it any way you want. The way I sort of ask it is just like really how people are what their lived experience is going to be. Are we going to see, you know, slowing growth, earnings, uh, you know, continue to to, to drop, layoffs ensue, um, yeah. people be out of work yeah, for a good I, while? I think, yeah, can the unemployment rate go from three and a half to five and a half? Yeah, it'll probably do that. And will earnings slow? Potentially, yes. But we have put in the market such a huge inflation premium and interest rates are so, so much higher than where they should be that I think that the positive effect of, you know, the rates and inflation premium coming down to the extent I think they will offsets a lot of that. Okay, that's that's yeah. great clarity. That's what I was trying to get to because, yeah, sorry. because pe people will ask the question, look, if you see a recession ahead, that really probably hasn't like have we already priced that in? How can you yes. start getting optimistic right now? Yes, we already priced it in. That's what this wall of worry is about. That's why this is the beginning of a bull market because it's so hard for people to say, "How can I invest in in, in the Nasdaq now when like the unemployment rate is going up every it hasn't gone up yet, but the employment picture is softening uh, every month." And so, um, you know, that's how bull markets are born. And then when everybody thinks that there's not the recession is over and things are going to be great probably time to sell your equity okay so let me just ask a question i'm sure a lot of viewers are asking which is okay go back to end of 2021 financial assets were at their all-time highs interest rates had been held at rock bottoms for super low there were trillions of stimulus going on you know we've now stopped the stimulus we've raised interest rates as high uh you know faster and higher than they've been in a long time. You know, we 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 may fall into a technical recession here, or there may be layoffs. And people are going to say like, okay, so does that mean that kind of like the 20% drop we got from those highs in November of, or December of 2021 to now like was that it? Was 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 that yes. the hit the market's going to That take? was it. That's how markets work. Yes. Okay. I mean, yes. And the same thing in the crypto markets uh, we had a 70, 75% drop in Bitcoin and Ethereum. Uh, liquidity was pulled out. And then the very key signal to me was that on the FTX fraud, the S. Sam Bankman Fried fraud, the, on the day of it, the Ethereum price couldn't make a new low. Bitcoin made a new low and came back. And basically, you know, that's called a bullish divergence when you have um, the worst possible event that you could expect to hit a market and the market doesn't make a new low in price. The selling has dried up. And so that was at around, you know, 1100 uh, Ethereum, both Bitcoin and Ethereum are up, you know, 70% from that, um, from that period. I'm not sure we have a raging bull market just now, but the bear market is over just as the bear market in gold ended, you know, on that spike collapse through 1700. And now, or what is it, 2040, I think on the way to 2500. So, um, yeah. And again, it's because those markets are looking ahead and they're saying, 
Um, there's no way that the fund funds rate can stay at five. It probably it'll probably be at you know two and a half in a year from now or 18 months from now. The markets are very forward looking. They don't trade off of today's information. They trade off what it what they expect the most likely outcome is 18 months from now. And so that's why it's over. And people who don't, who aren't active in the markets, and you know, this is especially true in crypto where you have a lot of non, I would call professionals in the market. Um, you know, it's very hard for people to get used to that idea, right? You want to, all the headlines, you want to respond to the news and stuff like that. Yep. But that isn't what markets trade off of. Markets trade off of, you know, the future, what it, right? They're, they're, they're discounting mechanisms. That's why the 10 year at three and a half percent is so important. That's telling you, right, where it, where the markets, like the deepest, you know, market that trades trillions of dollars, you know, a day or week or whatever the number is, it's telling you that um, the inflation uh, is going to be down dramatically and that the Fed will have to accommodate. So, Okay, that's great. So now I want to start moving over into kind of what you're doing based upon your more optimistic look of where things are going and why you're investing in these, these digital assets. Real quickly before we go there, let's just make a stop through the world of currencies. I'm not sure how much of a factor that plays in your interest in digital assets, but um, what happens with world currencies definitely impacts gold and it impacts a lot of the cryptos as well. Um, uh, what is your general outlook for world currencies from here? Yeah, I mean, look, it's just the dollar entered a bear market. Uh, it, everything all happened roughly around the same time. I mean, when the euro broke down to 98, you know, that was the low. That'll be the low for this cycle. And how much will the dollar drop? Um, I'm not sure. I mean, could be 10, 20 percent, maybe. Um, I don't think it's a, uh, you know, a cataclysmic drop. I think it's a you know, a traditional dollar bear market. And that's also supported Bitcoin. That's also supported a gold. I think really, look, just think about this. The, the Fed has already accommodated by um, guaranteeing, in a sense, all the deposits, uh, you know, with the FDIC. Who knows? Is it Treasury? Is it FDIC? Is it the Fed? Um, all, all, all we know is that the whole in traditional institutions balance sheets from a 30% drop in their bond portfolios was made whole, okay? So the Fed said, go ahead, or the Treasury or whoever it is, it's all one. They said, look, treat your bonds as if they're a par and lend freely against them. That is a future injection of two to $3 trillion, right? That's the moment when Bitcoin really took off and gold and the dollar also, um, again, the dollar is just a reflection of, um, especially against the euro, uh, against relative changes in liquidity. And so, you know, I think it's pretty clear that the tightening cycle uh, finished. I mean, if that wasn't a, uh, the, the liquidity tightening cycle finished, uh, if that wasn't a clear sign, I don't know what is, the, the, the hike from yesterday, to me, is in a way like the Fed trying to manage its ego or just keep its safe face, right? We said we were going to do 25. They've already eased dramatically by saving those banks, right? There's an injection of liquidity. They already did it. So 
Why do they need to raise 25 bips? It's just a, it's a machismo thing, which just tells me that they're wrong and that this, that this Fed really um, is really the first one that I think could potentially damage the reputation of the institution. Okay. And, yeah. and um, Dan, is it fair to say that you think that liquidity, um, after having been tightening substantially uh, for a while, is, is now going to begin increasing? Yeah, I think it has. And that's why the markets, that's why NASDAQ, gold, Bitcoin, and Ethereum have rallied because they are trading off of um, where liquidity is a year from now or 18 months from now. So we just had the turn and those markets are very sensitive and smart. And as I said, the markets are uh, discounting mechanisms. They trade off the future. So that was the signal. And so they're expecting much more of it to come. And I think that's right. Okay, so I, I just want to let viewers know that if if you're trying to kind of square that statement that Dan just made there with all the signs and the headlines that you're seeing right now um, that still sort of scream tightening and, and reduction in bank lending and all sorts of things that sound liquidity negative, um, everything that Dan just said, I discussed in, in great depth earlier this week in my interview with Michael Howell who has a bunch of charts that go through all this. He explains how he's actually calculating liquidity. If you're curious how it's calculated, uh, if you want to watch that interview after this one, uh, I'll put up a link to it. Oh, right I'd like here. to see that. I'd like yeah, to see it, that one. All go right. watch it after we're done again. It's, it's a really good discussion. I will say it challenged a lot of my, my, my outlooks, but it presents a very compelling quantitative argument for it. Um, all right, so, uh, so okay. So you've now set the stage. Um, Tell us a bit about, um, you know, how you're investing, um, yeah. uh, why, you know, which assets you're, you're going at. And if I can, in your answer, if you can address this question, what's the key compelling value proposition of these digital assets today? Is it as an alternative currency, an inflation protected store of value, a technology that unlocks new valuable forms of commerce? Is it all of these things? Is it something else? Like, it's it's obviously all those things. Uh, yes, it is all those things. And um, yeah, I um, I'm very bullish on gold here, uh, and also Bitcoin, Ethereum, as I mentioned, as the core assets of this sort of new digital asset ecosystem. And then I also I, I'm also positive on the Nasdaq. I mean, the Nasdaq is um, you know I think benefiting from a huge wave of, wave of innovation and um, you know, I know it's mostly led by these top 10 companies, but the top 10 companies uh, have been leading this whole thing the whole way. And so uh, and also, I don't think that they're very interest rate sensitive uh, either. So um, what I'm doing uh, in the middle of uh, 19, I pretty much switched my focus to focusing on the, as I mentioned before, the um, more developed revenue producing larger companies in the space. We don't actually invest in cryptocurrency or the tokens themselves, even though the companies have um, tokens and, and currency on their balance sheets. Um, we invest only in the equity of these private companies. Um, and so over the last two and a half years, invested in 26 different uh, businesses. I've deployed $1.2 billion. Um, you know, I now, the, the business, uh, the fund now, has board representation on 11 different uh, companies, um, which is incredible from just, you know, zero, two and a half years ago. But look, the exciting thing for me and why I moved in there, moved into the space is that 
Um, I just think it, it presents the greatest growth potential, certainly. And I think it's the greatest macro trade that of all time. I mean, literally that, that I've ever seen. Um, and even from, if I, if, if you call the, um, if you look at the value of the digital asset ecosystem, I, and it was $300 billion uh, in the middle of 19. And that to me, that is um, the value of all the cryptocurrency in the space and the value of all the equity in the space was 300 billion. Today it's 1.7 trillion. So in, in less, you know, in less than in about three and a half years, it's gone up 5X. Yes, a year ago, it was 3.2 trillion. So it had 10X. Okay, it's down from 3.2 to 1.7. Yeah, that's not great. But, you know, as a macro, old-time macro investor, I step back and I'm thinking, wow, it's still 5X. Um, this space is growing beyond, uh, I think, you know, what people generally understand or know. And wh what, am I, what do I mean? You know, at the end of the last bear phase, in, at the end of 18, um, you know, Bitcoin and Ethereum were down 85, 90%. Uh, there were many blowups because of the ICO boom, which is essentially a fraudulent, um, you know, fraudulent activity. Uh, and people really were talking about Bitcoin going to zero. And this time, the bear phase ended uh, in Q4, and no one was talking about Bitcoin going to zero. Number one, number two, the broader digital asset ecosystem has grown so big. Um, you know, and, and what am I talking about? The subsectors underneath the activity, the rails that are being built. Uh, now you have subsectors like stable coins. Last year, $8 trillion of stable coins uh, were settled. Okay. You have the entire world of DeFi, $50 billion locked in TVL. The high was 200 billion. Okay. A year ago, only 50 billion. Well, that number was zero three years ago. The world of, you know, NFTs, metaverse, blockchain, gaming two and a half years ago was zero. Now there have been, believe it or not, over 1 trillion NFTs minted. Now, a lot of them are worth zero, but there's a whole world that's grown up, um, you know, uh, around the digitization of value. And certainly in the gaming world, um, I think all gaming companies within five years will actually be blockchain gaming companies. So it's really, you know, incredible that the space itself has continued to grow even though the price of Bitcoin and Ethereum had major bear phases where they dropped, you know, 70%. Look, also the number of developers that have been coming into the ecosystem from the traditional world. So people moving from, you know, software development at a Web2 company uh, to working on blockchain uh, software, to, uh, you know, uh, on, uh, on blockchains or in companies that are involved in the blockchain world just hit a record high. So, you know, demand and interest in the space also continues to hit records, record highs. And I think all we read about in the, the journal and the FT is, you know, oh, regulation is going to crush it in the U.S. You know, they don't mention that 85% of total cryptocurrency trading volume is done outside of the U.S. That's why I say this is maybe the greatest global macro trade of all time. I mean, it's the, what it is, is it's the digitization of value. You know, it's very simple. You know, the internet was for information and ideas. And now we have the internet of money, the internet of value. And um, it sits on the original code is the Bitcoin code. And again, this might get a little complex now because um, the Bitcoin network is driven by the code that was uh, written and then exp explained by the Satoshi white paper, which um, is that eight page white paper. And I know 
naysayers, you know, chuckle about that. Like, what is that? Who is that person? You know, they release this to the world. Like, what, what does it mean? Is it fraudulent? Why is there no person behind it? And I would just say that, it, at least for me, my great light bulb moment in 18 and, and 19 was simply that that paper solves a math problem called the Byzantine generals problem. And I'm not a math student. I don't know anything about cryptography or tech or programming or anything. It was very hard to understand that paper. It took me a very long time to get through it. But like I was an academic at that school that you and I both went to. And um, I understood that something that had 40 years of cryptographic and scientific research behind it, and there's a clear timeline um, uh, of you know, 40 years of research that came before the actual publishing of that white paper. And that white paper, as I said, solves this math problem that had not been solved literally for hundreds of years, Byzantine Journal's problem, which is the problem of distributed trust, how do two uh, counterparties trust each other? How do they send value to each other without an intermediary? And so that paper is like an engineering paper bridging the analog world to the digital world. It explains how you turn, how electricity from our physical world gets turned into security uh, in the digital world. And that is just a phenomenal thing, how those two get bridged, but it's explained in that white paper. And that is sort of the genesis of this whole world. And um, I, I think eventually, you know, maybe this paper will win some sort of, you know, Nobel Prize. I think it's, you know, an, an invention as important as the combustion engine, you know, maybe, you know, as important as the discovery of electricity. Um, I don't know, you know, this distributed ledger, uh, has many different components to it. And you said, is the value currency? Is it store of value? Is it new technology? The phenomenal thing is that it's all of those things and more. And so when I think about what is the value of that, okay, I look at the entire ecosystem of 1.7 trillion and I say, well, one of the greatest inventions of all time that's going to change everything that we do, is that worth more than like just one company in the NASDAQ? And I think it is. And so I think the value of the space could go to 20 trillion, 30 trillion. Originally, I thought 10 trillion. Uh, when I founded the company, I the first um, funds that I managed, uh, I called the fund 10T. That stood for 10 trillion. That was because I wanted to put my view into the name of the funds so that people couldn't say, oh, no, you didn't really have that view. I did. It was 300 billion. And I said, we're going to do a 30x in 10 years. So I said 10 T, 10 trillion in 10 years. We're already at 1.7. I said last year we were at 3.3 and it looks to me like we're gonna get to 2030, uh, potentially even more. So I know there's a lot there. Um, you know, I wanted to invest in Bitcoin and Ethereum, which I did in early 19. Uh, I think they're, you're gonna make new highs by the end of 24, 25, if that's the way you'd like to express it. I wanted to own some of the, as I said, the cash flowing, uh, more substantial businesses in the space, because I don't think humans will be remo removed from all, you know, economic activity. Uh, I, there are some people in the space who think, you know, the decentralized world will remove humans from all activity. I don't think that's the case. And I think there's a lot of innovation going on. And last thing I'll say is that for the first time, and this is very different than any other time in the last 10 years, um, you really have traditional companies now incorporating 
uh, blockchain into their business models. And you see things like Starbucks partnering with Polygon to drive their uh, rewards program. Like this was not happening at the end of the last bear phase. Um, we even, you know, just two months ago, the Cali the, listen to this, this is incredible. California State DMV, Department <laughs> of Motor Vehicles, has said they're putting California state licenses and car title deeds onto the Tezos blockchain. Okay, that's not really an economic agent there, the DMV. We all hate going there, um, but you never think that they would be sort of at the forefront, cutting edge of technology. This is all the while happening while the press coming out of DC every day is more and more negative every single day. Um, you know, I, I think the US is, you know, do, doing itself a disservice. I think that uh, the speed bumps in the space last maybe a year or two. Uh, <clears throat> the rest of the world is charging ahead. Singapore, Dubai, Abu Dhabi. Now Hong Kong again has come back to the fore. And I'm hearing that even uh, London, the UK will have a proper regulatory framework within six to nine months. So I think once the US sees that it's missing this opportunity uh, in a really obvious and blatant way, um, you know, you have the CEO of the basically the only public company in the space, Coinbase, Brian Armstrong saying that, you know, he's considering moving, you know, outside the country. That's a pretty dramatic uh, statement. You know, the Winklevi twins and Gemini, third largest exchange in the US, you know, they also now are, are looking outside. These are all new stories that have come out in the last day or two. Uh, that can't be good. And at some point, you know, we'll have a change in leadership or a change in view. Uh, and the U.S. will, I think, you know, come come around, but it's just not not today. Got it. But you, you expect kind of like a, a big catch up wave uh, at some well, point. Well, maybe. You know, look, I, I don't know. It kind of reminds me, you know, uh, our, um, you know, uh, in the uh, in the macro, um, uh, you know, in the macro pundit world, they talk a little bit about how the U.K. constantly is doing this. A regulatory arbitrage with the United States that, you know, in the 70s, the US wouldn't touch the euro dollar market, all those petrodollars coming from the Middle East. But London, so London became the center of trading for, you know, in euro dollars. And then in the late 80s, early 90s, you know, the US was difficult for, you know, structured product and currency derivatives to really uh, grab hold because of regulatory constraints. So London became the home, you know, where these, you know, funkier, uh, derivative products. Uh, and then the U.S. comes around eventually. The U.S. says, oh, why is all the business uh, in London? That doesn't make sense, right? And I think London doesn't have a natural sort of competitive edge. So they're always sort of seeking where can they add value into this sort of global uh, economic financial chain. And um, so I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, look, I, I will I will say this, and I've said this a bunch of times recently, there are not a lot of things that I know for 99% sure, but I am 99% positive that in the next five years, there isn't going to only be one public crypto blockchain business. That's Coinbase. Over the next five years, um, there are going to be many public companies, uh, whether they're public on the NASDAQ or in the UK or Dubai or Abu Dhabi or Riyadh or who knows, I don't know. Um, but I know that given the size of the ecosystem, and I haven't mentioned this yet, there are over 100 companies in the space now that have a market value of over a billion dollars. When I first started this, they were in the middle of 19, there were only 14 companies. So in three years, we've gone from 14 companies worth a billion or more to over 100. 
And then if you look at the space, and that was probably over 150 a year ago. Um, and if you look at the space, how many companies are worth over 400 million? Uh, you're looking probably at around 140. Um, I'm sorry, maybe even 150 now. Uh, um, and, and maybe and maybe more. And so it's impossible for me to believe that this entire world is just going to stay in the private realm. You know, as I said, right now, we're the only growth equity fund in the world that invests in these private companies. I'm not sure why there aren't others. I think some of the traditional guys came in in the last 18 months and paid very high valuations. Thank goodness we did not. Um, and now they've moved back out. Uh, and so we find ourselves practically alone in the space and on the brink of raising um, our fourth fund and uh, very excited about uh, the opportunity set that we have uh, in our world now. So, All right. So that, I mean, that sounds really exciting. Um, and I understand seeing an opportunity like that, how excited you get. So if I took good notes here, you said that there's like 150 companies in the space that have market values over 400 million? Yeah. Okay. So, you know, one of the, you know, most of the people watching this video, um, I would say are um, fall somewhere between crypto skeptical and crypto curious, right? We don't have a big, to my knowledge, uh, active base of crypto investors, but we have folks that have been kind of watching it from the sidelines. Many just haven't understood it. Maybe many are, like I said, are crypto curious. They're interested to learn a little bit more. They don't feel confident in their understanding of the space. But I think a, a sentiment that many of them have felt is, well, where's like the practical value getting created by this, right? There's a lot of speculation on coin X, Y, or Z, but, but where's like the real value creation here? From what I hear you saying is there are companies out there that are creating real enough value that they have these large valuations. Um, and um, I, I assume, and correct me if this is wrong, but I assume some of these companies that you're investing in have real revenues, like like substantial revenues. These aren't, they're not being valued just on some pie in the sky. Someday this will make some money. Like presumably these companies are actually providing a, a practical service that are generating real revenues. True? Yeah, I mean, the companies we invest in as I said, minimum, we really try not to ever invest in a company that isn't making at least 40 to 50 million in revenue. Um, we have many companies doing all sorts of different things uh, in the space. Um, you know, one of our companies, uh, for instance, we have a company that um, is an exchange. They do 90%, uh, the company's called Darabit, 90% of all the world's uh, Bitcoin and Ethereum options uh, trading. You know, that's... Uh, you know, they they did over, you know, over 100 million in EBITDA last year. So that's not even revenue. We have, you know, a company like Animoca, the leading blockchain gaming metaverse NFT company in the world, you know, did over 400 million in revenue. Um, the second largest exchange out there, another exchange, Kraken, uh, did over 500 million in revenue. Then we have companies like Ledger, which makes the hardware device um, that allows you to store your uh, Bitcoin and Ethereum off exchange. They did about $200 million in revenue last year. I mean, I go on and on and on. Well, well, and can, I, can of, I dig just a little bit on that? Which is, th those are those are all examples of producing revenues in the blockchain world itself. And I'm just curious, are, are there examples where you're taking something that has been done in the analog world 
and you're now doing it better or, or even or even the, the traditional digital world that you're now doing sure. better because it's on the blockchain? Yeah, I mean, like take a look at Circle, for instance. Um, Circle has the dollar stable coin. And so, I mean, they're facilitating um, the ability uh, for people to hold dollars on a blockchain on their um, on their USDC. And um, it's been a huge business uh, for them. They made over 750 million in revenue last year, I think over 400 just in Q1. Um, you know, for people who don't have bank accounts, uh, for people who can't hold dollars, Again, this is truly global. I, my guess is much of your audience are wealthy, you know, guys, uh, you know, in their over, you know, 40 years old uh, in the developed world. Um, they have that, that is accurate. I mean, yeah. we, we were watched worldwide, but that is the, the bolus of people that watch. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, there's so many different use cases. We we probably need a few hours to go through it. But <laughs> certainly, no, 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 it's it's true. Um you know, I think the the most obvious one that people understand that the make makes most sense to them is that yes, there's a limited number of Bitcoin. It's a store of value. Emerging market countries that have problems managing fiscal and monetary policy, where currency devaluation happens all the time, this has been a lifesaver for them. You go to Argentina, there's a very active cryptocurrency right. community um, in Lebanon, in all of these places around the world. Um, you know, also countries that are reliant on the dollar and would like to have some alternatives, um, you know, to be able to have a stable coin, which is just a digital asset that represents, that that um, gives you exposure to a specific currency. You can have a dollar stable coin, a euro stable coin. It just means that those dollars are on a blockchain and that they're backed by a do a real dollars in the physical world. And so what, why is that important is because once they're on a blockchain, they become fungible with everything else. You have dollars on a blockchain, they can be traded for you know, any other asset on any other blockchain. So I think that the number of use cases, um, and then you talk about the gaming world as well. We have 2 billion gamers out there. Okay, I haven't played a game since the 1980s, a video game. <laughs> I'm sure your viewers, who, who cares about video games? 2 billion people out of 8 billion in the world play video games. Right. And now you have the ability to own, you know, the assets that you own in your game and you can port them and move them to other games and you can trade them for other assets. And so, you know, I mean, that's an incredible uh, <clears throat> new innovation for gamers. Um, you know, what else do some of these companies do? You have now you have uh, companies that audit blockchains. So people who come up with new blockchains, new code. Um, you have companies that audit that new code, that confirm that that code is legitimate. Again, it's all software. If you're a, a, a guy like me or you uh, of our age, uh, I don't know if you know how to program. I don't, um, you know, but don't. this is, I don't either. So we don't even know what code is, but code has value. So maybe that's probably the first place that viewers have to start with. Forget about Bitcoin, forget about all this. Do you understand the simple concept that code can have value? If you don't understand that, you're not going to understand any of this. So, but anyone under 35, they all get this. This is the most age demarcated asset I've ever seen uh, in my life. I know I can speak with somebody 38 or younger. There is never any resistance. There's never any doubt. This is how they live. They've never been to a bank. They don't know banks. They use Venmo. They use 
they live digitally, they live off their phone. Uh, anyone over 55, you know, they doubt it. They're not sure. They, they see these companies, they're making money, they're doing something, they don't really understand what they're doing. It's the same thing over and over. What I would really focus your attention on really are the companies in the old world that are using blockchain technology today. I mean, you have companies like Alfa Romeo, all the uh, car parts and insurance are insured on a blockchain. McLaren has all of their uh, NFT collections for fan engagement on a blockchain. You've got, as I mentioned, Starbucks already uh, partnering with Polygon. Um, consumer brands uh, using different blockchains to uh, interact with their um, with their clients. You have it obviously in sports, huge deals happening, you know, with the NBA and NHL um, with NFT companies. I mentioned the California State, uh, you know, um, you know, program. The yeah. And then also, look, the reality is, I know J.P. Morgan and Jamie Dimon often comes out and talks negatively about Bitcoin, but JP Morgan has the largest number of blockchain patents in the world. So I think that- Really? Yeah, they do. And um, they've been active in the space, you know, for many, many years. Wow. Do you think that, I'm just curious, do, do you think that Diamond just has a different opinion because he's of a different generation or is there a little misdirection here? Like I'm going to talk down this industry while I buy it on the cheap. I don't know. I don't know why anyone would do the latter of his, you know, in his position and with that stature, uh, you know, I, I, you know, I just don't know why he does it. All right. Well, then, yeah. then look, we're, we're, we're getting tight on time. So I want to try to make this practical for people. Um, so let's say, so obviously um, if, if folks aren't, you know, if, if their interest is getting wedded here, but they don't know a lot about uh, what's going on, they should go online. There's there's a bazillion YouTube videos and places you can go to well, get, get yeah, but, smarter about this. Yeah, but you know what? I, there's so much information. I really think it's uh, it's really very, very hard. And there's a lot of misinformation. There's some bad actors out there as well, just like in any sort of new area. Um, so how, I, would, how would you recommend well, people well, educate? You know, there, there are a few accounts on Twitter that have just sort of curated. I know most of you guys probably aren't on Twitter. It's a phenomenal news source. I don't read the New York Times anymore or the journal. I don't really any of the traditional press. I have all my news feeds coming from LinkedIn and Twitter. Um, I, but the, the reality is, I mean, what we do for our investors is we, we curate a research site and we pulled out sort of the best um, things, you know, so you don't have to read, you know, 700 articles about Bitcoin mining to understand it. Uh, you know, we sort of provide two or three, but there are, there are a few places I would suggest starting with reading, um, you know, Jan Pritzker's book, Inventing Bitcoin. It's a hundred pages. It's very simple. Uh, and then, you know, I think that's a, that's probably a good place to start or Antonopoulos's book, on uh, the internet of money, internet of money. I think it's called volume two. Uh, those are two really good places. Uh, Safadian Amus is another guy. He's written a book um, uh, about the, the history genesis of money, value and gold and Bitcoin. Um, but I would start there. I mean, it, it's, it is complicated. I wouldn't, you know, it took me a long time uh, it took me a, a, a long time to really get it and understand um, how big this world is going to be. And so far, I've been right. So I, I think it's it's um, uh, you know it's 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 encouraging, right? If I'd been wrong, 
uh, about some very basic things, I, I wouldn't have some of the views I do, but it's certainly been right so far. And I think it'll continue to be uh, the most dominant, you know, I don't know, macro money value trend out there. Okay. So a couple quick rapid fire questions for you. First off, um, can you give me three names, three handles on Twitter for folks to follow if they want to start following somebody who you think is a good voice in this space? Well, I mean, I'll mention myself, DTAP Cap is one, um, you know, but I would also say um, Nick Carter is very good. Raul Powell actually uh, is very good at GMI. Um, also, Nathaniel Whittemore, very smart guy. I would follow him. Pomp, P-O-M-P is another one um, who I think is quite good. Um, th there are really a lot, but Raul does an excellent job of uh, bridging the old and the new world. And, you know, he has a publication. I I'm a fund manager. I'm not really, you know, out there. Um, but he, to me, you want to read things. I think um, follow the Blockworks. They're a news group, information site data. Um, I just follow their news stories. I think they are the best at bridging the old to the new world. They they write in English um, so that you can understand what they're saying, um, but they're very deep in the crypto world. So the Blockworks guys, if you want to have one news source, I think that would be enough. And if you look at you know three or four of the names that I've mentioned, I think that's probably good enough as well. Okay, great. And folks, um, I'll put links to those resources in the description of this video below. Um, all right. So um, getting out of brass tacks, Dan, let's say somebody says, okay, um, you know, sounds compelling. Um, maybe I want to put a slice of my, uh, right. my portfolio in this space for, for, for the regular retail investor, right? Who's not yes. necessarily qualifying to invest in funds like yours. What are some of the better ways to play this? Yeah. I tell everybody actually the same thing, whether they're retail or institutional, um, <clears throat> You should have five to ten percent of your assets in the space. I think you could do half split between Bitcoin and Ethereum. You can open, get a wallet on Coinbase or Gemini or Kraken. It's very simple, um, very straightforward, and um, very easy. You buy some Bitcoin, you buy some Ethereum, you see how it works. You have a digital wallet, and then I think if you want. You can put some money into a venture type fund that is investing in the early stage companies. And maybe you, you know, you, you, you know, I don't want to say get lucky, but you can. And they do take smaller investments. And then I think you invest in a fund like ours, uh, Growth Equity, um, which is investing in um, the more mature companies that will have a better volatility uh, profile. You know, we've weathered this bear phase very well and are positioned, you know, to do well now in the future. Uh, it's just a different risk reward profile. So I would say you have one in each of those four buckets. That's what I would right. suggest. Um, and and uh, with these sort of venture funds that you say some take retail money uh, and even yeah. share, share folks for your fund as well, what, what sort of minimums are there? Well, I, I'm not really sure. I mean, I would think maybe you can, in the smaller venture funds, you probably put in $50,000. <clears> Okay. And then I'm just yeah. curious, how about your fund? I'm sure you're, you're is your um, fund for institutional we, we, investors only or? Yeah, it, it is. Um, there are a few feeder funds that take smaller uh, amounts that aggregate. So 
Um, but I'm, you know, but, but you're just dealing with big institutional investors. That that's well, no, no high net worth. No, no high net worth. I mean, we have a lot of high net worth individuals. So okay. Yeah. So I'm 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 gonna I'm gonna at the end I always ask where can folks go to learn more about you and your work. But but right here, if folks are interested in learning more about your fund, where should they go? Oh well, you know, as I said, uh, you know, we you can go to the uh, we have a website. Um, you know, there's a 10T website and a 1RT website, or just go to my LinkedIn. Um, I think they just attach to my LinkedIn or my, you know, Twitter and reach out to me and, you know, I can send you to the, you know, the people who, you know, can help. I mean, All right, I, I'll put, I'll a big put your... team. I've got 15 people. So it's either 1RTfund.com or 10Tfund.com. Uh, my LinkedIn is my name. Twitter is DTECCAP. Yeah. Okay, great. When we edit this, Dan, I'll put up URLs to both those websites and to your LinkedIn. So interested folks know where to go. Thank you. I, I guess, Dan, as we as we wrap things up here, um, it, it's it's a huge topic. You know, we we I only gave you a limited amount of time to discuss it in the back half of this this interview here. Is there anything else about this space that we haven't tapped into yet that you think the Average viewer who's somewhere between crypto skeptic to crypto curious, you know, should be keeping in mind as they think about okay. the, the future so, of the space. Okay. At, and what I'm going to say is this, is that I'm not going to answer that question. I'm happy to come back and do a full hour and take you through the answer to that question. All right. That sounds great. And you know what? Could we, are you open to making that a live discussion so that we could sure. at some point bring in some live Q&A from the audience? Sure. Why not? All right. That'd be great. Um, folks, if you're interested in that, uh, let us know in the comment section below. And the more uh, enthusiasm there is, the sooner we'll, we'll schedule it, uh, given Dan's very busy schedule. Um, Dan, it's been great. Thanks for giving us so much of your time. Um, really fascinating discussion, both on the macro side and on the crypto side. You gave us a lot to think about. And um, I really look forward to doing that uh, next event with you. Thanks a lot, Adam. Thank you.